Well, 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 welcome back. What should you do when some kind of conflict arises? First of all, take it seriously. And it's just, um, and that's based on because some of us are just insensitive to the serious nature of what it is, or we kind of blow it off, or we fall into our patterns and avoidance or whatever that we do, and we don't take it seriously. Uh, We think that everything is someone else's problem, (laughs) not ours. Uh, Some of us uh, have learned to handle conflict or just blowing it off, like I've mentioned. And we like to think that if we ignore it long enough, guess what? It'll just work its way out. Everything will just be fine. Ignore it, and it'll go by. But that's not what it happens because that doesn't help. It doesn't move us forward. So we need to take it seriously. And what happens is if another person has a problem with us, like say I'm okay. I'm okay with my thoughts. I'm okay with my opinion. I've settled it within myself that there is no issue, but the other person has an issue, we think that's okay for us to live that way. But it's so important that we try to resolve conflict. That's such a priority in the kingdom of God that there's actually a scripture in that, and it's Matthew 5, 23, and 24. Matthew 5, 23, 24, and this is what it says. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there at the altar remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. That means go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come back and present your offering. And What that means is we can be here in church or having our devotional. And you know how the Holy Spirit sometimes will, you know, remind us of something. Somebody has something against us. And we say, oh, that's their issue. I've done everything I can to resolve it. And it's so important to the Lord that he brings it to our remembrance. And he says, there's an opportunity. And he just doesn't bring it to our remembrance. And I highlighted the word go because go is an imperative. It doesn't mean just acknowledges it. It says, go, therefore, and be reconciled to that person and then come back and give your offering. So that happened to me once not too many years ago. I was in church and I'm having, you know, just an amazing time worshiping God. You know, sometimes you're more emotionally uh, in tune or being ministered to as you're having praise and worship. And I was in that space and the Lord reminded me that someone in my family had ought against me. They were angry with me for something they perceived I had done, and I'd already decided I didn't do anything, and they read it wrong, but yet there was division there. And the Lord said, you need to go and make that right. So I thought, you know what? I need to do that because I'm aware of it. Now I need to respond. And I went, and I prayerfully thought, how am I going to approach this? And what am I going to do? And I felt like I needed to, first of all, make a call and acknowledge that I recognized that there was some unresolved conflict and that it was important to me that we resolve it because I love you and for us to resolve it is more important than me feeling like it's okay. And what that did is it opened up the door for some deeper dialogue to occur, but I was the one that made the first step, but I was the one that felt like I didn't have any issues. It was the other person. And so often we say, oh, that's their problem. That's their problem that they have an attitude. That's their problem that they haven't worked through it. But the scripture says here that when we become aware of it, then we remember it. We're to leave 
that piece of worshiping and serving God and doing our good works, we're to leave those activities and then go to be reconciled with that person and then come back. Because you know what? The scripture says that obedience is better than sacrifice. That's where the rubber hits the road. That it's better to obey what we've been reminded to do and take that step than it is to continue to worship and serve God, but let allow that conflict to be there. So that brings a new reality to that scripture of obedience is better than sacrifice. It's better to obey those promptings than it is, is to continue to worship God in that time. Because God wants us to love and value people. And, uh, and how can we love God and not love people? That's where First uh, John comes in, 420. It's 421. It says, um, John, Apostle John said this way, said, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him and this commandment we have from him, this commandment, not a suggestion that we have from him says that the one who loves God should love his brother also. This is the commandment we have from him, that he who loves God should love his brother also. So that is kind of the underlying, the underpinning. It's sort of like loving your in-laws. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you the story here is... Uh, I saw this was pretty funny. I hope you find it funny too. If not, humor me and laugh. <laughs> but uh, it says this couple's got into an argument while they were on a trip and they were seething, looking for some way to get back at the other. As they passed the barnyard of mules and pigs, the wife said, Relatives of yours? Yep, the husband replied, in-laws. <laughs> now, that didn't help the situation. I'll just let you know that. <laughs> but really, part of loving your spouse is really loving their family. That's true. When you marry the spouse, you marry the family. So you cannot say, I just love my wife and hate her family. We have to love the family. That's the same way with God. We just can't love God. And not like the rest of the family. Because we are the rest of God's family. So how can we say we love the father and not love father's family? That's true. So it's, it's, we have to get that concept in our head. And so when we're asked with people, it hinders your relationship with God. And we have to take conflict seriously. That's also too, when it talks about First Peter, it says that there's between husband and wife, that you need to take care of that because you cannot come before God with having division there because really, when you got married, two became one flesh, and now you're going before God with only half the flesh. The other half is at odd with you. So it says, go make amends, make sure you do that so your prayers can be effective and not ineffective because there's division here. So God wants to make sure that that's clear and clean, and then we just take it on out to the rest of the family as well. So that's why God wants to make sure that we are not having uh, continued issues. And what some people will say is, your family makes me so angry. 
And you know, we're coming into the time of the year when there's more family interaction than there typically is because of the holidays. And when you start talking about the holidays, some people get excited and then other people say, oh my goodness, because they realize that there is his side of the family dinners, there's her side of the family dinners, there's this get-together, there's that get-together, and then there's our own time that we get together. Sometimes it doesn't work too well with the other family. That's right. So when you start talking about the other family, it creates angst in some, um, in some places. And some one spouse will say, your family makes me so angry because they do such a, such a, such a thing. And do you know what I would like to challenge that statement with is that, you know, nobody can make us angry. Nobody can make us angry. We choose to be angry. So if someone is doing something annoying, they could intentionally be doing something annoying. They don't make us angry. We give them the right or the permission to make us angry. Because the problem isn't what the person is doing. It's our reaction to them. And who can control our reaction? We're the only ones that can do that. So when we say that the other person is making us angry or their family is making us angry, they're really not making us angry. We're allowing ourselves to be angry by what we're telling ourselves. And so when we reframe what we tell ourselves differently is that's the way that they are. We can expect this and we can expect that unless something's happened in the last year or something happened between the last time we got together and this time, we understand that there may, there's a good chance for more of the same to happen. But this time, I'm not going to choose to allow it to make me unhappy. And so that is a phenomenal statement and truth to understand. And talking about it beforehand with someone, with your spouse or with a friend, because if you don't want to upset your spouse about talking about the things about their family that annoy them. Then process it with somebody else, but be prepared. Second step is to slow down. I know you can't see it there, but uh, basically it talks about my Jesus is, can beat up your Jesus. Those are two. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of cute cartoon that I found there, so pretty cool. But anyway, slow down. <laughs> Try not to ignore the conflict. Others of us are, are quick to respond, and sometimes we're too quick to respond to conflict, or we're too quick to respond with a little sharp response. Or for me, I was too quick to respond with anger, because anger can really just pop up on you, and, and you're, you're gone with it. So you need to slow down. And that was, the, for me, was a timeout going and saying, okay, kids, go to your room. I need to process with your mom, because I needed to slow down. So I could hear and hear. So we need to just slow down some time because we tend to blurt out words that we regret. Can I get an amen on that? Okay, then I think, I think maybe some of us have done that in here. And we say things that we end up regretting later on. And, uh, and it's hard to take words back. <laughs> Matter of fact, it's virtually impossible to take words back. And it's hard to take the damage back that words have done. Um, so the best thing is not to get the words out there. So, and how you do that is slow down. Uh, you slow down, and uh, so you have time to think. Uh, restrain from that initial reaction, so you take time to think clearly. And, you know, you know, we used to laugh. People always say, well, if you're angry, I know I was a kid. They say, count to ten. Well, that's stupid. Well, no, really it is. It's not stupid. I, mean, I thought it was stupid coming up, but 
Even taking time to count to 10, it slows you down. It forces you to do something different. It keeps you from reacting so quickly. Just count to 10. Or before you say something, take a deep breath. It brings stuff down. Because what happens is we get this thing going in our body. Our body begins to go on. Adrenaline starts and we go in this uh, fight or flight mode. And that means react. So we want to get out of that. And so I think also, too, there's some wonderful scriptures in Proverbs that uh, gives us some good stuff. Proverbs 12, 16. A fool's anger is known at once. <laughs> but, the pr- but a prudent man conceals dishonor. Proverbs twelve eighteen, There is one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 13, 3. The one who guards his mouth preserves his life. The one who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Proverbs fifteen eighteen, A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but the slow the anger Calms a dispute. The, the heart of in the um, Proverbs fifteen twenty eight says, "The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things." Then Proverbs seventeen twenty eight uh, twenty seven twenty eight says, "He who restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit." is a man of understanding. I like this next part. Even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he too is considered prudent. Even a fool just keeps his mouth closed. Somebody say, man, that guy's a wise dude, man. (laughs) (laughs) And then he who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from troubles. A fool always loses his temper but a wise man holds it back. And do not see a man, oh, excuse me, do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. So all these scriptures have in common is self-control, which is a fruit of the Spirit, can allow us to deal with conflict in a way that brings about peace. The only way that happens is by slowing down, stepping out of the moment, rethinking it, and then reengaging. Instead of just running into the fire without considering what the damage might be to both you and the other person as well. Um, in the files of Abraham Lincoln, historians have found a letter he had written and stored away in July 1863, a little over a week after the Battle of Gettysburg. In that battle, General George Meade led the Union armies of the Potomac to victory over General Robert E. Lee and the Confederate Army. If Meade had moved decisively against Lee at that point, he could have forced his surrender and ended the war. Instead, Meade delayed and the Confederates escaped. Lincoln was furious. He had poured out his anger into this letter. He predicted that Meade's failure would prolong the war indefinitely. Upon further reflection, however, Lincoln decided that the letter was too strong. He wrote upon the letter to General Meade, never sent 
or signed. So even though he's angry, and he could have responded, he decided to write it and never gave it to him. Because a wise man thinks about his words. A wise man thinks about his words. And so as you think about your life, how about, what were some of those situations that maybe you spoke too quickly? And what did that get you? Boy, I'm going to really let him know how I feel. Yeah. Okay. Did that bring the relationship closer? Did that bring healing? As a wise man would bring healing with his words. There is great wisdom in unsent letters. We talk to people about writing. Sometimes you just need to write a letter. You do need to get it out. Sometimes you just need to write a letter. (laughs) Never give it to the person, but you get it out. There's issues sometimes you can have with with parents that sometimes you just need to write a letter. They don't need a discussion, but write it out. Get it out. Because you do need to unburden yourself. You can't keep stuffing it. And that's kind of a healthy way to do it. And maybe it might mean it might lead to a conversation sometime down the road to have. Again, building relationship. Maybe there's some things we do need to discuss and talk about. And I want you to know my goal here is not to accuse you, tear you down, break you down. My goal is to build a relationship. These are some issues I've been dealing with, and I just want you to know about them and be aware of them. And I want to see what we can do uh, to move forward. So once you slow yourself down, then what? And there's another step you would do beyond that is pray. And prayer is such a powerful tool. It's actually a gift to us, and we sometimes overlook it as a gift to us, and we look at it more as an assignment. I mean, when you talk to leaders within the church and they say that they open up the church for prayer or they open up a home for prayer... It sometimes is the likely to be the least attended event because we think that we must pray or prayer is somehow um, an unrewarding um, thing to engage in. But when you realize the power and um, impact of prayer, it's an amazing thing. And James, he says in one five, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So in the context that James was talking about, James was talking about in the scripture here, it was about responding to trials. He wasn't talking about um, things when things were going well. It was in the midst of trials that they were discussing. And what's more likely, what's more trying than dealing with conflict? And praying before we act and we respond or if there's conflict and we don't know what to do, it seems bigger than life. God gives wisdom in the midst of our prayer because not only are we talking about the situation to God, but during our talk with him, we'll receive understanding or direction that gives us a specific or a different understanding of what the situation is. So let it simmer, let it settle, give it to God in prayer and allow him Um, to show us what to do. Because you know what? He can bring to our understanding in our minds a a perspective of the circumstances that we're incapable of seeing because we're seeing it on a lateral view. And what God does, he sees it from a bigger picture. 
We sometimes see the smaller details of it, but God sees the bigger picture. So when we pray, we get God's viewpoint of the situation versus seeing it from our own. And that's why he says here, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask for God. Because there is no greater tool um, to have or no greater ability to to possess than God's wisdom. And Solomon was a great example of that. It also says here, you know, not only do we pray for the other person, uh, but we are to even pray those for those that we have some major conflict with. As it says in, in Matthew uh, 5, um, Jesus said, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, this was a Jesus who, as he was on the cross hanging, being crucified, he was the one who said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This was an example that Stephen showed us throughout Scripture. When he's being stoned to death, he didn't curse them. He prayed for them. So we need to pray for those. Again, going back to prayer. Need to pray for those individuals. You may have some major, major stuff. Pray. God is the one who can change hearts. God is the one who can turn the situation around. God is the one who can give an answer that's far beyond anything that we could ever imagine. And uh, and if we think about it, that the people that we have the most conflict with are those that's closest to us. Mm-hmm. Our spouses, our children, our parents, <laughs> our brothers, sisters, the ones they were closest with. Why? Because they seem to be able to get at us in a way that nobody else can. <laughs> they seem to know that little glitch in our armor, <laughs> our Achilles heel. And they seem to be able to hit that thing every time. That's why we have to work on those relationships harder. Because those are really valuable relationships. And we can do this by, in essence, yes, we want to resolve conflict, but we got to, first of all, pray and set the groundwork and the foundation for that healing, for those steps to take place, for God to give us wisdom on how to approach the situation. Because, again... My bottom line is I want relationship. And sometimes it takes um, a decisive making a decision. Uh, again, I'll share a story from, from my life. Uh, when I got married, uh, Raina was, had been married before. Uh, she got married when she was 16 years old. See, she left Cleveland. We were boyfriend and girlfriend for six weeks, and she went back to California and got married craziest thing you ever can imagine. I mean, why would she leave me? I don't know. <laughs> but she ended up, uh, you know, uh, having a relationship with a football player and she got pregnant. And back in those days, you got to do the right thing. Um, so her parents um, signed for her to get married at 16 because you couldn't get married without that. But then also you ostracized because you couldn't go to school then. You had to <laughs> be sent away. So there she was. She got pregnant at 16, had a baby, 
and then uh, got pregnant a year later. A year later, had another oh, three baby. Three months later. Oh, three months later, yeah. obviously, baby time. So, so here she is in this situation, and so we remet. She had two children. She had been divorced, and uh, we struck up again our relationship. And I was always one who really felt strongly about uh, you know if you're going to date somebody with children that they, have, they need to become part of your family because I grew up in a place where my mom was married five times and I never had a dad around and all this type of stuff. We have three, I have two brothers and we're all from different dads. And, and I just said, I'll, I won't have an environment like that. When I get married, it's going to be the real deal and I'm going to embrace children, whether they're part of my natural family or not. And that was my mindset. And so we got married and uh, my mom loved Raina until we got married craziest thing. She always wanted a daughter. Oh, Raina's so good. I, I loved her back when she was 12. I loved her when she was 16. And you guys are back. Oh, this is just wonderful. Just wonderful, beautiful God thing. I just love her. <laughs> Until the leaving in Cleveland hit her. And when I get married, I was going to leave and cleave her. And I was the favorite son, to be very honest, out of the three. I was the most responsible and I was the favorite son. And my mom felt threatened in that relationship because now this was serious. You get married now. It's no longer just an amendment. This is a real deal. And so we got married. And I honored my mom and stuff, even though she, was, she did some crazy things. I don't even get into all that right now. <laughs> crazy things. But I knew this was God. God called us to get married. Opened doors, various different doors for us. And uh, we got married. And then we'd go visit. I'd, and my mom would literally just disregard Raina, disregard my two children. We'd go over, be the nicest thing, and she would just, the nastiest. And I said, Lord, I was supposed to honor my mom, honor my parents. I'm trying to do that. She's ditching my wife, ditching my children, and I don't know what to do. And so I prayed. The Lord said, you're going to honor her, but you're going to honor her far. That you can't take your children over there and let them be be ditched by her and you got to honor and protect your wife. And so you're just going to let her know. And God told me this, let her know that you're going to love her, but you're not coming over anymore until she can change her attitude to your wife and to your children. That was a hard conversation for a son, a favorite son to have with his mom. But I said, mom, I don't know what the problem is. I said, but you're not going to disrespect my wife. And you're not going to disrespect my children. I love you. I'll honor you. But I'm not coming over anymore. Until something changes in you, they were going to have a distant relationship. And it was distant and it got cold. She'd call over the house. Hello? This is Odette Britton. Is my son there? Ooh, nasty. But I did that. God did something in her heart. That she actually ended up coming over our house, repenting to both of us, talking about how sorry she was. She had a terrible attitude. She was home her some of her issues and problems. And we had the best relationship after that. I had to make a decision based on that, honoring my mom, but honoring my wife and to my children. And those things changed, but it happened because of prayer. And God did something in her. Had to show her. I couldn't show her, but God showed her. But God was faithful and showed her. And she became our intercessor. She became one of our most powerful prayer warriors and intercessors for the rest of our life until, until God took her home. But that's what it took. I just, sometimes you got to make a decision. 
You got to set those boundaries. They hurt, but you got to do it under God's guidance and anointing. And then that, that, that what took place. And what we understood when reconciliation took place between her and I, she saw what motivated her anger, hostility, and behavior towards me because it wasn't me. But what happened within her is she always wanted a good marriage and a good relationship, and she saw that's what we had. So it wasn't a rejection of me, and it wasn't a rejection of him. We had something that she wanted, and she couldn't have it. And so it annoyed her, and it upset her, and she was angry about it, and we took the brunt of it. So I say that to say, in the midst of conflict, remember when we went back to the beginning and we said what keeps people apart is that they have needs that aren't met or they have expectations that aren't understood. She had a need to be loved by a husband and by a man, and she never experienced it. So she was angry about it. And so when we began to talk about it after that time of healing and confession, she became our biggest cheerleaders because she realized that we had a godly marriage. And then she started telling other people about the principles that we lived as a husband and wife. And she'd never experienced that, but that she was blessed to actually see someone who did. So you see, it's always not what we assume as to why the other person is reacting the way that they are. Sometimes it goes very deeper than that. So seeking to understand why there's conflict and what situations are playing to it can bring about a whole foundation that's deeper than what the conflict level appears to be. It seemed to be like a mother-in-law, um, daughter-in-law kind of thing, but it really wasn't. It was about a hurting individual who had had many failed relationships and really wanted a genuine one and never had it. So during those last years of our lives, she became a whole person because she gave that hurt up and then began to minister to other women in the midst of relationships. And they started call, everybody started calling her mom and seeking her out because she was a healed person. So see, that's what resolving conflict and resentment and anger and hostility in relationships could do. Now that's a God story, isn't it? And I want to encourage you. You may be in the midst of a God story, but you know what's so encouraging? The end of the story is not written yet. The end of the story is not written yet. So in these relationships that are conflicted, you know, where there's resentment and hostility, there is hope because there's still time for God to move on people's hearts. And that really, that leads right into our next point. I just want to share one thing right before you do that, just to... Uh, do it, but showed the difference that when uh, because my mom got healed is that she had a funeral that we had over 500 people came to her funeral. We had a procession of over 150 cars that went to the cemetery afterwards, and many of them was younger women who she became a healing bomb too. So we just never know. But something, when we take a step to deal with an issue that we need to deal with, what God does after that, and how it has such a great effect because we took time to work through healing in the area that we needed to do, set my mom free to be the woman that God really wanted her to be, I think from day one. And 
That moves us into each person in the midst of a conflict needs to examine themselves and what they're contributing to it. If we examine ourselves and what we're contributing to it, it's a real point of healing. Because what happens is we, it's easy for us to point out what's wrong with the other person or what the other person is doing. But it doesn't it take two? Conflict can't exist within just one individual. Now, you can have an ex internal conflict. conflict, but this external conflict, it takes two individuals to engage in it. Otherwise, it's one person, you know, that kind of is, is put off or experiencing this, and then other people are saying, well, what's the deal? But it gives us an opportunity to examine ourselves. And in Matthew, there's such a good scripture for that. It's Matthew 7, verse, um, chapter 7, verses 3 and 5, that says, why do we look at the speck that's in our brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in our own eyes? Or how can we say to our brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, there's a log in our own eye? And this word is sharp here. It says, you hypocrites, first of all, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will clearly see to take the speck out of your brother's eye. But what we want to do first is we want to get them right first so that we can adjust ourselves. But God says, no, it starts with us. So it starts with us first. Examining ourselves is, why am I angry? And you know, that, that has been such a healing question for me is, why am I feeling the way that I am? Because like I said, the other person can't make me angry, Right? They can't. I choose to do that or I allow myself to be angry. So when I am angry and annoyed, if I ask myself, why am I annoyed or angry? I'm examining myself through that question, aren't I? Because I'm not asking about the other person. I'm asking about me. Why am I angry? Well, I'm angry because I don't feel like I'm treated right. And then you ask the question again, well, why am I not treated right? Well, because so-and-so got more attention than I did. I wasn't acknowledged, or they didn't talk to me when they walked into the room. They went right past me to talk to somebody else. Am I not as important as them? Well, why are you feeling that way? And when you ask why enough times, you know what you come to the discovery of? I have the need for recognition and affirmation, and I don't feel like I got it, so now I'm angry at the other person. So when we examine ourselves and ask ourselves, why are we feeling a certain way and continue to drill down, it usually goes to a need, an expectation, a want, or a desire that we have that the other person isn't following through on. And so their behavior is drawing up or you know, illuminating this need or this attitude or feeling that we have. What's so beautiful about that, too, is conflict is one of the greatest tools that God uses to help us see ourselves for who we really are. And that is essential for our growth. Again, conflict comes in our lives many times for us to see who we are. What are the things that we're holding on to? What are the things that irritating you? Why are they? And that's why God allowed that to happen. Um, when our early church father, Augustine, uh, wrote this 1,600 years ago, he said, how can you draw close to God when you are far from your own self? How can you grow close to God when you are far from your own self? 
And then John Calvin, 16th century uh, reformer, said this. Our wisdom consists almost entirely of two parts. The knowledge of God and of ourselves. The knowledge of God and of ourselves. But as these are connected together by many ties, it is not easy to determine which of the two proceeds and give birth to the other. So we need both. And many times the iceberg that lives and exists in our lives can be broken up. But to do so, we have to be willing to open ourselves up to the light and to the warmth of God's word. Psalms 139, uh, uh, 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious ways and thoughts. Mm -hmm. And see if there may be any hurtful way in me and lead me into that everlasting way. And so we need to know that. So when there are times of conflict, you feel frustrated, you feel defeated. You need to look back on the experiences that have shaped you and said, and you may say, I can never change. But that's not true because that's what Christ is saying. The heart of God is really wanting to work in you. He's begun a good work. He'll see through his completion, even to the day of presenting you to himself. And so um, we want to take uh, just uh, about five minutes or so for you to have a potty break. It's our last break of the uh, afternoon. There's no food, so don't run downstairs and try to stuff yourselves. So there's nothing there. So uh, don't go too far, just to the facilities and and back in. Stretch. Stretch and come back in, and we're going to... Put our seatbelts on and wrap her up.